Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Aspire listeners, I am so excited for this conversation because I have my good friend Kyle Hill on the podcast with me, and you may know this name because he is a part of the Teach Better Podcast Network, and he does a fantastic job with his Recharged Family, Recharged Ed. He's got all kinds of different programs. We're going to talk about each one of those. He's also got this fantastic organization that he's built for families, and that's kind of where the conversation is going to lead, which is the connection between education and families. This guy has a huge heart, and I'm so fortunate to have him on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Oh, man, you got me blushing over here, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) That's heavy stuff. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I will turn the favor, though. Let me say this. First off, it's an absolute honor to be on with you. You know, it's, it's great to be on someone's podcast, but when you're on someone's podcast who you listen to quite often, I think it's even more special. And I just enjoy listening to your podcast. You do amazing things. Your content in general is awesome. And I want to throw this out. You got a great run this last year, man. Like going past four years of podcasting, uh, what is it, uh, past 200 episodes, you know, and now you've got, you know, your, your role in, with the Teach Better team is just blown up even further. Congratulations to you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that been a crazy time this last year year and a half you know things have changed drastically for myself and for the family and it's it's a blessing man and i am very happy with how things have been and um (laughs) i appreciate you saying that and kyle i think me and you have a lot in common would you just share a little bit about your educational and leadership journey yeah yeah absolutely it's a little bumpy to be honest with you (laughs) so uh kind of like you you know when i look back at being a student, it wasn't so swell, right? Like what I know now that I didn't know then, you know, having undiagnosed ADHD didn't help me any. A lot of my teachers, I don't think really enjoyed my humor very much, to be honest with you. Some of them embraced it. And what I found oddly enough, some of them, the ones who embraced it a little bit more and gave me opportunities to be myself, let my personality come out more. I I, like, I worked harder for them, but I was not the most motivated kid in the world. I played, you know, soccer was my thing. So that sometimes kept my head in the game to make sure I've got grades and that, and that kind of thing. But, you know, in general, I did not, you know, I did not excel at school. I had a lot of challenges, even and academic challenges too, some behavioral challenges. And what I ended up realizing, though, is, you know, working with different youth organizations and things like that that I was involved with when I was a kid was I loved kids, loved working with kids. And so my, I was lucky enough to grow up in a home with really good people and a good family. My dad was an elementary school teacher. My grandfather was an elementary school teacher. So I, I, got, I really wanted to follow suit because I loved working with kids. So I went to school. I ended up falling in line with elementary education, but really looking at my experiences personally, I started to realize I want to work with kids who have needs, right? I want to work with kids who have behavior challenges. I want to work with kids who have academic challenges, who just need support in general. And so eventually I ended up turning that into, you know, a career is a special education teacher. So I worked 19 years in elementary level, you know, from pretty much all the grades, specializing in special education, but I did it in co-taught classrooms with gen ed ed classrooms. And I also did some self-contained classrooms. So a wide variety of of experiences to draw on. And I'll, I'll just tell you, as, 
it's challenging as, as working in education is. And it absolutely is. Like it's, huh, it, it will drain you, right? For sure. I, I just, I loved it. I loved working with the kids. And, and it was hard for me then to think, even think about the idea of leaving the classroom. But I did it. I had some people knock on my door, multiple people, and say, hey, have you thought about, you know, we've got this position in our district, a resource, like a resource lead that's opening up, and you'll be able to share some of your experiences with other staff. And they, I almost felt like they pulled me out of there kicking and screaming, really. <laughs> but, but in the end, it was really, man, it, it was a great decision because I love it. And that's what I do now. So I've been doing that for a number of years. And that allows me to do all kinds of things. So in my current role, I work with, I, I obviously, my, my number one focus is special education, but I also work with tiered interventions. I'm in charge of curriculum and intervention curriculums for our district. I'm in charge of, I, I try to be like a Swiss Army knife and just kind of like do a, whatever anybody needs help with, right? So administrators will say, hey, can you help with this? Yes. Teachers will say, can you help with this? Yes. Paras will say, can you help with this? Yes. I try not to say no at all. Um, which can be, you know, stressful, but that's just kind of how I like that. I just like to say yes. And so, you know, I, I help out with transition services at the high school. You know, I do uh, coaching for, you know, behavioral coaching, instructional coaching, wide variety of things. And I love it. And for my ADHD brain, it's pretty cool that I bounce all over the place, right? Like I can be in a pre-K classroom and then an hour later I'm in the 11th grade classroom, right? Like that's, it's not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> Believe me, I'm not sure that's set up for everybody. But for me, that is, uh, it, it's exactly where, where I want to be. And I feel like I'm able to help people. And that's my number one goal. I, I know about myself, I'm happiest when I'm helping, yep. whatever capacity that looks like. So that's like the, all the education of where I'm at now. But oddly enough, the other portion of, you know, my ed journey is my family, mm-hmm. which is, which is, seems odd to say, but because of our personal experiences with our families, it's kind of taken me some other routes. So to give you a little background, I won't go too deep, but in case for any parents out there, this is not going to be like anything shocking. Parenting is hard. It's like, it's like working in education. It's just really, really hard. You know, in our house, we have, I've got three amazing kids, but they all have their own unique challenges, right? So we've got a house with multiple kids with ADHD. We have a child with an anxiety disorder, my son has type 1 diabetes, and that's, if you don't know much about type 1 diabetes, that's a life changer, not just for him, because that's with him for life, but for the whole family as, you know, as a whole, we all had to shift on a dime and create a new normalcy, and that was a challenge. You know, a variety of other things, you know, asthma and other health factors, so we, we've got, just got a lot going on with the house, with our kids, and so that led us to opportunities where we're working with schools. So now, as someone in the education side, I was always in meetings. I was in 504 meetings. I was in IEP meetings, right? And now I'm on the other side of the table and I'm looking at it from a different perspective, making sure that my kids get what they need. And it was super eye-opening to me after, so my son was diagnosed with, he's 15 now, he's in high school. He was diagnosed when he was eight. So seven years ago, my wife and I came out of our first 504 meeting and I kind of prepped her ahead of time, I thought, you know, but she walked out and she was like, what on earth was that? I said, would that make you stressed out? Didn't understand it. She's like, I didn't understand anything, right? Like all we did was talk about all this educational jargon. And then we passed the paper around and signed it. And I don't even know what was happening, right? And so that, what I've realized, that's just just common. Unfortunately, it's common. And in education, 
because what's the one thing educators don't have enough of time, mm-hmm. right? Some things get pushed to the side. And unfortunately, we end up trying to push through an IEP meeting or a 504 meeting and really do the parents or the guardians. In some cases, when our, our student, our kids get older and the students who can you know, advocate for themselves and they're in the meetings too, yep. do they really understand what's going on? And right. that's kind of, that's led me into a lot of the work that I'm, I'm trying to, to work through now and with the recharge family where I'm trying to create a, a, like a team between the home and the family. So now I work with educators and I also work with families and try to, the same kinds of things that I share with educators. I also share with families just from the other side. It's, I try to picture things as, can we make a world where there's not friction between the home and school where we're working together? And the number one goal is, can we help the kid, right? That's the number one goal. We come together so that we can support the child who needs the most support. And to be honest with you right now, we've got so many kids who need so much support, whether it's behavior, whether it's academics, social, emotional kinds of learning and uh, mental health, and the list goes on and on. There's just a lot that kids have to go through. So it's kind of odd, but it's taken two passions. And I've been for a couple of years and trying to figure out like, how do I blend them? Right. How do I blend them? And I think this is the path that I've, I've headed on in the last few months and uh, I'm really enjoying the work. So I'm, I'm hoping to continue on with it. Well, there's a lot to unpack with that <laughs> I answer. gave you a lot there. Yeah. Sorry about that, no, man. No, <laughs> because I'm like chomping at the bit. I want to like deconstruct it all because a lot of what you're talking about, I've lived myself with my wife yeah. and our kids. And especially when you're talking about being in an IEP meeting and I understand everything that's going on because I've spent hundreds of hours in art meetings before. Um, and then I'm looking over at my wife and I can literally see sweat dripping from her yep. head of like, I don't know what's going on and I'm stressed in this situation and having to, after the meeting, go back and, and kind of go through everything that happened and to the point where she's just like, I don't know if I want to go back again because yeah. I'm lost and it's frustrating and there's just a lot of emotions and whatnot. So we can unpack that later, but you know, I want to talk about the behavior piece, right? Because you are in classrooms, you're supporting teachers, you're coaching, you're doing so many different things. I know in the last couple of years, there has been an influx in behaviors with students since the pandemic and people coming back into the building. And I know a lot of teachers potentially finding some struggles at the beginning of the school year. So what are some things that you might be able to provide for maybe a child that has an IEP that you know, might be a strategy that would be successful in the classroom? I know that's a pretty broad question because there's so many different spectrums of, of a child and, yep. and their needs. But if you could just provide, you know, some that you have found to be successful, I think that'd be extremely helpful for the listeners. I, as I said, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I get to be at a lot of different grade levels, but I'm also very fortunate that within our school district, we have multiple different least restrictive environments. Mm-hmm. So I also am able to work in our intensive learning center where we have students with real behavior challenges yep. and also um, help out a bit with our specialized school where we have students who have more moderate to severe disabilities, more severe autism or things of that nature. So I've learned a ton from so many people. And, you know, what I know now looking back is I, I think, man, I wish I really knew that when I was in the classroom, right? Like, oh, I wish I knew that piece. So one thing I always share, and I do a lot of work, one of the other parts that I love, probably my favorite part of my job, um, besides getting in and still figuring out how to, how to help kids, is working with new teachers. So I get uh, this like, portion of myself and a couple of us are lead, the lead mentors for the district. And so the one thing I, I share with all of them from the jump is 
When we talk about behavior management, there's really two, it's twofold. There's one, classroom management and how we structure and set up routines and what are, um, how we're going to go about managing our classroom, right? But from my end, what I'm looking at, especially coming from a special education lens, is what we're doing for the individual kid. And so and if you're going to make movement with a child, whether they're four or whether they're 17, you've really got to take a look at what's best for that individual. And it's really tough, especially the higher up they get. Maybe they're in classrooms with more and more kids. It's really tough to be able to pin, pin it down and figure out exactly what it is that they that they need and be realistic as to will this actually work in a classroom, right? The best advice I could probably give is this. It's super important. As long as the child you're working with is verbal, getting their input on what moves the needle for them. And by that, I mean like, what's the carrot we can put out there in front of you? Now I'm talking about, I'm not talking about maybe a, a, a child when we're talking about behaviors from my standpoint, it's probably not the kid who is maybe they just need to stand up every couple minutes, like in my case, that probably would have been helpful when I was a kid as someone with ADHD, yep. just stand up every couple of minutes. I'm talking about maybe something that's definitely high frequency and it, it keeps the behaviors will keep coming. So we really got to focus on how we're going to move the needle on a specific area. So the first thing is if, if we can get them to understand, if you do this, this is what we'll do for you. That can be helpful. Now that in order to move the needle, you got to have something that you can dangle out there and be like, this is what we're shooting for. And for every kid that's different, right? I'll give you an example. Yeah, so uh, working with a parent, they, they said, you know, I have some things that I do at home that would help in school. I'm like, awesome. So you're already working on like reinforcement of behaviors. What is that? Tell me about that. Well, when the, when I'll just call him Johnny, when Johnny uh, gives this behavior, I make him hot cocoa. I'm like, okay, that's workable, maybe, <laughs> depending on the frequency that we're reinforcing here, right? Like, so if I'm right. going to try to set up a reinforcement plan for Johnny, if I have to reward him every time he raises his hand, and I know he's raising his hand 10, 15, 20 times a day, I'm not running out to make him hot cocoa 10, 15 times a day. Right. So let's be realistic about it. That might be something we put down the line. Like he has, he meets the, the parameters throughout this week. And he gets that at the end of the week. So the first thing I would share with you, Josh, is that it's important to know we have to really kind of take the mindset of instead of chirping at kids about you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. We got to set a parameter where maybe we can reinforce. And if it's, you know, to be honest with you, not every kid needs like specific reinforcements as far as like break out a sticker chart. Sometimes we just got to ramp the praise up. And to be honest with you, I don't care if you're five or if you are 55, everybody likes a pat on the back, right? Your boss tells you at work, oh, I love what you did with this. What does that do? That tells me I want to do it again because he liked it or she liked it, right? Yep. Kids are no different. So ramping up the praise is a big piece. You, you can't praise kids enough, right? And if you can spot them and you have, I always call it like have big eyes. If I can see what it is that we're working towards and they do it, I got to have big eyes and see it and I got to acknowledge it because that's going to keep moving the needle forward. If I don't, at some point they're going to be like, well, they just never even know I'm trying and they just don't even see me. It, those are just a couple pieces. I mean, I can go on and on for hours about behavior support, but just in general, if we're going to move the needle with kids who have behavior challenges, you got to look at it from an individual basis. 
Think about how you can build up praise and ask yourself, is the behavior, is it warranted that we need to do some more kind of reinforcement? Because you will get, you will get plenty of teachers who might say, well, they're just supposed to do this. Like this is the behavior they're supposed to do. Yes. But behavior is like reading. Yep. It's like math. You've got to build it. You don't just become, you know, an amazing reader overnight. Kids who are struggling with behavior, they don't just become awesome and fall into line with your behavior overnight. Yep. It's got to be built some way, especially our kids with more behavior, more, more uh, challenging behaviors that we're working with in the classroom. And to be honest with you, you're spot on. The behaviors are just off the chart across the country. It's not just across countries, worldwide. Yeah. It's, it's a real epidemic. You're coming through everything we've been through in the last few years. Yep. There's just a lot of things that are going on and it's just, it's very taxing on all the individuals in the classroom who are working with the kids. For sure. And there's a lot of factors there and, and we won't go into that, but like you said, it, it needs to be reinforced not only in the classroom and school, but at, at home also. And I, I love what you're trying to do. Your charge here is connecting home and schools. And so by that, I want to know kind of what you're doing to help families as far as understanding and getting the knowledge of what the education world is all about, but then also what are some resources that you're able to provide them? Yeah. So what I do is I have the recharge family, which is like the organization. And underneath that, I just try to give content and resources for parents and educators and all in a hope that we can support kids who need it, who are struggling in some capacity, right? So the exhausted educator show, which is part of our uh, teach better podcast network. That's really looking at how we can recharge the educational battery of all the educators who might be struggling out there. And we've had a lot of, <laughs> we've had a lot of episodes on behavior because we know you're struggling with that. Right. So that is in my mind, like that's filtering down. If we can give you a little bit of that, it's filtering down so you can help support kids from the family side, still in the recharged family. You know, I've started to work on for the last couple of months, putting out more content that I'm hoping will resonate with more families because there's a variety of things that they don't know, so much that they don't know. And you talked about your experience kind of sitting in on a meeting and your wife might not have any idea what's going on. She doesn't know the jargon. Yep. It, it's just really, it's really challenging. You know, an example I'll give you is like tiered intervention supports, right? So maybe you have a, a child who has, they've been tier one, the basic supports, and we're moving them to tier two. Are we talking to the family about that? We're just doing it. Are we actually telling them what that means? You know, what's the difference here? So a lot of what I talk on, you know, whether my podcast or I also started to create more content on our YouTube channel, Recharge Family YouTube channel, is that trying to get parents to understand you can do a little bit of work to prepare yourself and educators can do a little bit of work to help prepare you. And I think it all kind of falls into maybe four categories. So first thing from an education standpoint, connections. What are we doing to connect with that individual family? Easier said than done, but just sending an email out like, hey, we got an IP meeting coming up. I know your child was just identified, but you'll figure it out when you get here. I don't know that's the best, the best approach, right? No, not at all. <laughs> right. So then again, as I said before, the same things I tell educators, I also share with families. So the other part of what I do, which I'm excited about, is I meet with families individually, you know, just jump like you and I are doing. We jump on a Zoom yep. and they share with me any questions about education they have. And it might be, tell me about what's a parent teacher conference. I've never had that before to, 
Can you tell me what transition services are? Or can you tell me about outside related services? Because I'd love to get my kid into counseling, but I called here, I called here, and I called here, and I can't get in, which is a legit issue. And, sure. you know, as someone who's also had to reach out to a wide variety of, you know, people and organizations to get help from my kids, in some cases, it feels like you're kicking doors down just to get, you know, get what you need. Yep. Um, it's just not easy. And so what happens is if you don't, if you aren't really driven, you might back off a little bit, you know, and then your kids don't get what they need, unfortunately. So the importance of getting parents connected with individuals and hopefully within your school system, even if it's one person, it's a counselor, somebody who can provide them with a personal connection. And hopefully they're part of like these meetings. If it's a 504 meeting, I had a, here's an example. And so sometimes I get called into meetings just to share like, what are some resources we have in our district? Or can you talk about how we can help, uh, uh, what we can do to help this child with dyslexia, whatever it is. I was in an IEP meeting and I happened to know the guy and he came in and he leaned down to me and we had, I think, 10 people in this IEP meeting. He'd never been in one before. He leaned down to me and he said, this is like a congressional hearing. And he's right. You, yeah, totally. You've never been in this situation before and we've not prepped you. And you're like, what on earth? This makes people want to run for the hills, yeah. right? So the importance of having somebody you feel connected with can be very helpful though. And hopefully that moves into the other part, the other portions that I talk about with, with both educators and families is communication. And are we getting the communication flowing back and forth as far as, you know, what, what needs, what they need to know um, but can we share it with them beforehand? So, you know, here's one thing that a lot of school districts will do. It's very helpful. They'll send an IEP draft home like a week in advance. Yep. Awesome. The question is, do the parents even know what they're looking at? Do they know? They take a look, they open this IEP or the 504 plan, whatever. In advance, the idea of having a draft go home early is, is great. But do they even know what they're looking at? So is it possible to open up a line of communication where somebody can say, hey, just to give you a little bit of information, this is kind of what we have here, just so they know ahead of time. I know you, you have a coaching background, as, as do I. I, taught, uh, I coached 13 years at the high school as a soccer coach you know, before having twins, and that will change your life. <laughs> That'll change your life in a heartbeat. So it, it, I'll tell you what, it forced me to make sure I had my priorities straight. Right? My go. family's always number one. Yep. But the one thing I always would tell players, whether it was the boys team I was coaching or the girls, is that proper preparation gives you a better chance to succeed. Doesn't mean you're always going to succeed. Doesn't mean you're always going to win the game. Gives you a better chance. I take the same information. I share that with families. Going into a meeting, if you do a little bit of preparation so you know what you're headed into, you're, you have a better chance of feeling more comfortable you're more likely to interact during that meeting and you're feeling more comfortable enough, hopefully to, to be a part of that team, whatever that is. And so many times you, you don't have, there's just not enough comfortability and parents will just show up, sign what you need and out the door they go. Or if it's virtually, maybe they're on zoom or whatever, you know, or those are signed off on whatever document you have and go and they go and they don't really get their input. And that's not for the best interest of the kid either. We're trying to promote getting everybody all on board. Right. Yeah. And that leads into knowledge. So what's the knowledge that we're sharing with them? So are we just giving them an IEP? Are we just giving them a 504? Are we just telling them, hey, I want you to know your, your child's in tiered interventions. Do they, do they know what that means? Do they know that eventually we're, they could move to the next tier? 
And what would that mean? Do they even know? We talk about tiered interventions. It's not like the the magic funnel to special education land, right? It shouldn't be that way. Right. <laughs> it shouldn't be that way. Do they know that, right? Like, so a lot of times parents will come in, maybe they'll meet with a teacher and say, well, we're going we're gonna to give your child a little bit more support. And that's not a bad thing. But from a parent, that's a tough pill to swallow to find out that you're your child has a, a struggle in some capacity, right? That's, that's tough to, to work through, but to layer it in so that you, you really lay out for them what that means, yep. what are the next steps, and who knows? You know, maybe we move your child to tier two, and this is exactly what they need, and then maybe, we, maybe they, we can fade those supports away and we pull back to tier one. Or if they need more support, maybe eventually after a little while, we will, we will move on to the next level. But... I think a lot of times, and it's not, it's not anybody's fault, Josh, it's, it's, it's the, it's the system that we're in. There's not enough time for everything, yeah. you know? And so it, it's a real challenge. And that's why a lot of what I do is, is I think in terms of what's, what's tugging at my heart, right? What's tugging at my heart and what on earth can I do to help? So what was tugging at my heart during the pandemic, I was really feeling, I was feeling horrible for all the educators mm -hmm. who were just you know, doing everything they could, but not getting enough praise in my opinion. And that's why I ended up starting the podcast. I feel like we need to celebrate your work more. And then the other part is kind of been tugging at my heart from a family side. Like, what can I do to help parents so that they're feeling more comfortable in these situations? So like if they go on to my pot, my parents recharge podcast, it, it's informational. It's different. It's a, so it's solo. It's entirely different than the ex exhausted educators. It's just me talking about Hey, here's a 504. This is what involves the 504. And I'll try to sprinkle in like a bizarre story that I've gone through. Sure. A lot of times, like I'll share something I struggled with that might be funny because I want to give a little bit of entertainment too in some of the episodes at least. But I just want to give them information. Same thing with some of the things we're trying to move towards in our YouTube channel. And so that we just give them some extra information. And then the last thing I want to I want to roll out there, and I'm I'm really just kind of laying out all kinds of stuff for you is just the importance of, and I kind of hit on this along with knowledge base, it's just being transparent. Yeah. It, just try to be transparent. We want to avoid friction. There are two, well, there's more than two things, but there are at least two things that school districts do not enjoy. So to pull the curtain back for you, from a district level, they really don't like poor press, right? Because yeah. they, they just, that's an obvious one. And they also don't like litigation. Nobody likes to get sued. But what a lot of people don't realize is school districts are constantly working through litigation. It's, yep. what, it's just something that happens. A lot of it comes back to how we support our students. Are we supporting our students? Unfortunately, what ends up happening is, well, Susie's not getting enough support. Maybe I'll pull in an advocate and we are gonna, we're going to beat the doors down. There's nothing wrong with advocates. Don't get me wrong. They, they, do an they do amazing, very important work. But what I'm saying is from my end, I really feel like there's an in-between that we, we're missing. Right. We need to try to avoid the friction. Why? Trying to help the kid. Teachers are human. If they sit in a, in a meeting and the parents are creating a lot of friction because they want this and the schools are like, mm, I'm not sure we can do that. The teacher might take back. Hopefully they don't take it out on the kid, but they are human too, right? Like, and so that might not always come off easily. Mm -hmm. So is there a better way to work with families yeah, it's, it's transparency, trying to be open with them as much as you can about whatever it is that we have them in and whatever supports we can provide. And from my end, when I work with families, I say the same thing. Be realistic. 
right? Be realistic. You want all of these things for your child. And I get it. We want to give them the moon, right? But that's going to be nearly impossible to give your child all of those supports within that setting, right? Like, so I just kind of feel like there's a happy medium in there somewhere and we just all have to do a little bit better job of trying to reach it. No, I couldn't agree more. And I love all the different resources and you, you, Provided quite a bit, especially I'm, I'm thinking of my own experience. I remember a, a parent coming in to an art meeting and it was the same deal, right? There was 10 people at the table and I've had multiple conversations one-on-one with this parent. It went really well. Then it goes to the meeting, totally different person, very mm-hmm. quiet, reserved, almost deer in the headlights. Yep. And afterwards I invited the parent into my office and we had a conversation and I was even getting that vibe in my own office. And so I was like, wait, what's up? They were like, well, that last meeting was really intimidating and I didn't know how to act. I didn't know what was going on. And then also being in your office, in the principal's office is really intimidating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, like, I was there when I was a kid. I didn't yeah, like it then. That's exactly what they said. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's get up. And we went outside because I was like, we're going to find a neutral space because you obviously were uncomfortable for a very long time and this is not being productive. So, you know, we, we were able to like learn kind of how to move forward if maybe we didn't need all 10 people, right? They, they weren't necessary to move forward so why do we have 10 people in the meeting that was something we we learned and thankfully that parent was honest and transparent to us about their emotions their feelings so we can make those changes and unfortunately not everyone feels comfortable enough to do that Um, but we have to be mindful of it as educators to to make sure that we're creating a a space and an environment that's not going to be overwhelming for our parents when they're probably already concerned and stressed coming into the meeting to begin with Yep, I agree. It's it's a it's a tough spot to be in. And and it is interesting sitting on the other side of the table, For right? Sure. Like it's it's different. And like I said, listening to my wife and now now mind you, my wife is the brains of our operation. There is no denying that, right? <laughs> like I will never deny that she is the brains. She's the organizational system. For Something sure. happens to her, the house will crumble, right? Like there there is no doubt about that. And so when she's telling me how a meeting makes her feel, even though I've tried to prep her for that, at least in some capacity, uh, it just it makes me concerned. And I think about how many families you come in with zero knowledge into these meetings. Right. And like you said, it's intimidating. I don't have a knowledge base to even know what's going on. So I'm going to react a couple of different ways. I'm going to bolt <laughs> or maybe I'll stick it out. I won't say anything. I'll sign whatever you've got, but I'm not coming back again. Or maybe it's you know, I don't like the feeling I have right here. I'm going to put up some resistance. Yep. You know, I, I don't know. it. I don't know if having 10 people right here is in the best interest of my child. Mm-hmm. And so instead of working with you, I'm going to fight for my kid, right? Like instead of having the transparency of, ahead of time saying, yeah. hey, I want you to know here are the people who are going to be in this meeting. Don't be alarmed. Maybe we know you have a good connection with this counselor. We're, even though you know she may not be signing into this IEP, we're going to bring her in because we know you have a good comfortability with working with her. And we're going to bring her into the IEP meeting um, just to make sure that you've got somebody you connect well with. So yeah, I agree. It is just a different, it's just a different view when you're on the other side of the table, looking at it from a family standpoint, when you're trying to, you're trying to make good decisions for your kids. Yep. Right. Yeah. And when you got kids that struggle, whatever capacity that is, it's not easy and you want to advocate for them, but you also want to be, to the point where you're working with the school, yeah. right? So there's like, a, there's like a, there has to be like a, a happy medium in there. It's not always an easy balance to get to though. No, definitely a partnership. 
This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Just to review a little bit. So you talked about the Exhausted Educators podcast, the Parents Recharge podcast, the Recharge Family YouTube channel, and then also Holding On to Learning and I'll have links in the show notes for all of those pieces for those who are interested in connecting and, and making sure that they're tapping into all of those many resources. Uh, let me throw this out. I have, uh, you know, I work with families. Yes. If you've got families who need more information, Josh's going to hook you up. Like I said, re- rechargefamily.com has everything that I do. If you need to go to a place, you, you can find, I call it hold on, holding on to learning is my company that I do the side business. I will not charge your families to get on a Zoom with me, okay? That's it. I'm not charging them. I just can't do it. If they want to donate to the cause, that's fine. But I don't, I don't want to charge them. So what I'm getting at is if you want, you know, you know there's some parents who need more knowledge. Feel free to say, hey, you could check out this podcast. You check out this YouTube channel. Or you could, you know, you could call this dude. <laughs> you can call. He's giving you his, his cell number. Yep. Text him. You can connect with me on, on social media. Again, we'll hook you up with that. I just want to throw that out there. So we're just trying to all help parents and yeah. so that it all filters down to help kids. Buddy, we're getting toward the end of our conversation here. I want to ask yeah. you what I'd like to ask all my guests is for our aspiring and current leaders, if there's something they can do tomorrow or next week to enhance your leadership journey, what would you yeah. advise? It's pretty basic. And I, I hear you say this often, and it's, it's true. So the first part is like, have a big heart, right? In whatever you do in life have a big heart. And that leads me to this piece. Be a true helper, not just a helper, be a true helper. And by that, I mean, someone who when people come to you, you're, you're willing to say, yes, I can help you with that. Or I don't know the answer to that. But let me see if I can find some help for you. The best example I can give to you, and I won't go on a, a big full time story. But there was uh, about four or five years ago, we moved to our house and I had to transfer the cable over from our house, from our old house to the, you're shaking your head. Like you've been through this. Yeah. I've been there, man. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm a pretty chill person. Cable companies bring out the worst in me, yeah. man. Like I, I don't know what bring out the demon in me somehow. <laughs> so, so at any rate, for whatever reason, they lost like a hundred, it was 150, I think $153 in that transfer over. And so, you know, I, I, I try to play nice guy with the comp, you know, with the, with the cable company. I call, I call, and they, no one would help me. And I'm stubborn enough that I won't give up. I called over the next few months, 32 times. That number will always stick with me. 32 times I tried. And it was really came down to, I don't think they even cared about helping me. Like they might've said, oh yeah, hold on a second. Let me look in the system. Um, yeah, I don't, we don't see that issue here. Um, and sorry, we can't help you today. Yeah. Have a nice day. My wife called randomly one Sunday morning. She said, you know what? Let me try calling today. And of course, you know, my wife has got on with her sweet voice probably, but she got a, she got a true helper, a true helper. And he pulled up the system and he's like, Whoa, you guys have called 32 times. (laughs) There must actually be a problem here. Right. And so because of that, he's like, oh, it's, it's missing. It says in the system that you're, you didn't return this piece. We return that piece. Well, all you got to do is go to the local cable company and check with them, and then you'll be good to go. And that's all we had to do. 
but it took a true helper to dig a little deeper to try to help somebody. So that's my advice. It's tough because so many people need help. But if you could just pause for a minute and go deeper, and if you don't have the answers, I will gladly say, you know, the only thing I know is a good chunk of the time I don't know, right? So, but if you come to me with a question, I'll try not to say no. I'll try to say, let me see if I can find something for you. And so I just think that's helpful for any leader, regardless of what position you're in, whether you're, it's just, you know, working with kids and roll up your sleeves, working with kids or supporting your staff or whatever, even beyond education in general, just trying to be a true helper. Well, that you are, sir. And I would love for my listeners to be able to connect with you. So how may they do that through your website and through social media? Yep. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Recharge Family. And you can also, again, it's YouTube. Also, uh, same thing at Recharge Family, if you want to put the handle on. And then everything I'm doing in the organization Recharge Family and everything underneath it is rechargefamily.com. Make sure that you are checking out all of the many resources, either through the podcast, through the YouTube channel, and then, of course, through Kyle's website. So, um, again, everything will be in the show notes, and I would highly recommend that you lean on Kyle. Everything that he's saying is true. He will be there to support you, and he is that helper. He is definitely not the cable company. So, I, <laughs> I aim to not be a cable company. <laughs> Kyle, I am just so honored not only to have you on the podcast, but to call you my friend. And you are doing some fantastic things, not only in the educational space, but also for families who are working through some challenging things. And I just love what you're doing. I love your heart. And I just appreciate all of the many things that you're doing, my friend. Appreciation right back at you, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Josh. Appreciate you.